You're listening to a Sunday morning message from Glory Day Lutheran Church in Houston, Texas. Thanks for joining in. For more information about Glory Day and next steps you can take with us, check out gdlc.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at GDLC Houston. Today we start a new journey here this month as we walk through the book of Philippians. Uh, And I was commenting to a good friend of mine that I have forgotten about the book of Philippians. It's a wonderful book. It's a wonderful read. If you've not read it before in a long, long time, we would encourage you throughout this entire month uh, to dip into the book of Philippians because you will find sources of encouragement and strength. Um, it's, say, it's not like the book of Isaiah, the prophet. It's like 66 chapters. It's kind of a long slog to get through. It's well worth it. But the book of Philippians is four chapters. You can carve out a half an hour and be able to read through this book uh, and then be able to just see the insights and the encouragement that it has for you. Um, Philippians was written by Paul to a very young church. Paul had traveled to this region back in 50 AD, and for the longest time when I was in middle school and high school, I thought that this was written to Philippines, right? That this was written to the book in Philippines, and I wondered, how did Paul travel all the way from Rome and Greece all the way to Philippines? That's just an amazing adventure. But then I remembered, and someone taught me, that this is an actual city, Philippi, uh, in northern Greece, and so he was writing to the residents there in Philippi with the book of Philippians. Um, And so when he traveled there, he shared this full gospel, uh, this gospel that changes hearts and changes lives. Paul would have talked about this God who created everything in this world, and then by human action, completely broken, completely destroyed. And God didn't leave it there, but God entered into this world and took on human flesh in Jesus Christ. And this Jesus Christ was born and lived a life and had a ministry among us that showed how powerful God is, that he did miracles and that his teachings were none other like any other teachings before. And that he was drawing people to come back to a relationship with God, to be reunited with him once again. And then that ultimate act that his son took to go to the cross and generously pour out his life for you and for me. And three days later, rise again to conquer death and the grave and all of our sin, to give us life here and now. And that that same Jesus rose again and ascended into heaven and that his ascension shows that he has power and majesty, that he deserves all glory and all honor and that one day he will return and that he will return to gather all of his followers home with him and to see the perfection and the beauty that God is. And this message that Paul would have shared, this full gospel to those people changed hearts and changed lives in that city of Philippi. And people responded to this message. And people began to live Christ-centered lives and began asking, what changes need to happen in my life to reflect and glorify who Christ is in my life? And now by the time that Paul writes this letter to Philippi and the residents there, it has been 10 years since he shared that message. So this is about 60 AD, 10 years later, this young church, what is happening now? Is it thriving Is it really gotten great traction and momentum in that city? Where is it? Well, 10 years later, now they're struggling. They've lost their focus. That passion and that zeal of seeing who Christ is in their life, they've lost all that passion and zeal. They have no more joy. They were struggling financially. 
they weren't well off in the first place, but now that Christ's followers in that town were totally reorienting their lives around Christ's customs and his rhythms and what would be beneficial for them, it completely cut against the grain of all things Rome. Because Philippi, they had Roman customs, they had a Roman calendar, they had Roman rhythms. And so this band of Christ followers, as they followed Christ and exemplified that in their life, the citizens of Philippi were like, well, wait, that doesn't line up with what Rome teaches. That doesn't line up with what Rome acts like. Especially as this band of followers talked about a kingdom that far surpassed Rome. Uh, this kingdom of another world that would conquer Rome one day. And so the citizens of Rome, they heard that and they would say, that is so unpatriotic. There's no other kingdom but Rome. You have to align everything around Rome. And so these followers of Christ, they were persecuted. And people wouldn't shop at their shops anymore. People wouldn't allow their children to play with the children of those Christ followers. And so this young church, they were so struggling. And if that wasn't bad enough, their spiritual father, the, the one who planted this church and gave them this good news, Paul, he's in jail. And he's not in jail in Philippi. He is 800 miles away in a jail in Rome, so far away that he can't even help them. There's nothing that he could do to be there. And so they began fighting among themselves, so much so that Paul names two people, calls them out by name in this book so you know it has to be bad. Can you imagine you're in conflict with someone else and then a Bible author calls you out and that other person by name and says, stop fighting, and it's in Scripture for all time and in all space, you know it's bad in Philippi that this conflict is happening. And that just leads to some being tempted to just fall away from the faith, to completely renounce and turn away from Christ and say, you know what, it was so much easier when I followed the rule of Rome. It was so much easier for my life to be able to just live my life the way I lived it before Christ entered into my life. So what is Paul going to say? What words is Paul going to share to these people in Philippi? Is he going to tell them, shape up, you're better than this? Is he going to shame them and say, hey, this is Christ and you better line up your life in Christ to him? Well, let's see what his tone is. If you look with me in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 1, uh, so I encourage you to take out the Bible in the pew ahead of you or your electronic device, however you engage Scripture, and turn with me to Philippians, chapter 1. And you'll see through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and keep streaming through Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians, uh, that third letter that Paul writes. Philippians 1, verse 1. He starts out, again, in jail, writing this letter to encourage this community. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, the church leaders in that area, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's his introduction. That's his hello. Here's who I am, and I bring greetings from Timothy and the others that are in prison with me. And then for the next 11 verses, it's going to seem like one long run-on thought. And Paul's going to be everywhere. And in verse 3, he talks about this prayer. In verses 3 and 4, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. So Paul holds them in his heart. He's praying for them. And every time he thinks of them, he thinks of them fondly. He thinks of them with joy and with excitement in his voice and in his heart. And he doesn't talk about the prayer right away. 
He says he's praying for them. And then verses 5 through 8 are like this long run on, uh, this ramp that he goes on in order to get to the prayer. But he has some things to share with you and with me. It's these reminders before he gets to the prayer. And I kind of imagine it like a mom dropping off her kindergartner to the bus for the first time. And that mom pouring encouragement into her child before they step foot on that bus. Or a parent dropping off their child to college, giving them one more wise word to say, hey, remember this. Of everything that I've taught you, remember this. Or or dropping off someone at the airport, and you're not going to see them for a long time. The words you're going to share with them are going to be powerful. That's what Paul is sharing to the people in Philippi, to you and to me. And so this moment can be huge for you, especially if you're desperate, especially if you're discouraged. If you're looking at your faith and you're down and out, maybe you've gotten test results and the doctors are telling telling you, hey, your body, it's breaking down. There's not much more we can do. Where does your faith go to in that moment? Or maybe financially you're looking at the checking account or what's not in the checking account and you're financially upside down and financially broke and you're wondering where are the resources, where is God going to provide for my daily needs and you're just tempted to just give up. Or maybe this word is for you that you've got a significant relationship in your life and it's broken. It was really strong at one point but there were words that were shared or an action that happened that completely broke that relationship. How do you repair that? How do you go about reconciling with that other person? Or maybe it's just a series of events that you're going through and you're getting battered and beaten up and just bumped around all over the place and you're wondering, where is God in all this? And where do I place my faith? Can I still trust him? If you're desperate, if you're disappointed, Philippians is a book for you. Philippians is where you can find encouragement and joy even in the midst of all the challenges that we face. So what words are going to strengthen a faltering faith? What words are going to be sources of encouragement to not give up, to continue on and live a Christ-centered life? Well, Paul, his first one is going to be found in verse 3. If you look along with me, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And here's his first reminder to them and to you and me because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, Paul says he has joy when he remembers them, and he's in prison. So they must have made a powerful impact in his life to be able to remember and say, you know what, they were awesome for their partnership. That church in Philippi, from step one, from day one, they never stopped asking, what's my next step? Right? They got baptized and the water in baptism wasn't even dry yet before the people in Philippi said, what's my next step? How do I grow in this faith? What do I need to do to immerse myself in God's word? And Paul would give them direction and Paul would give them encouragement and disciple them all along the way from the first day until now. Paul's so impressed with the steps that they're taking in their faith. And here he knows that they're struggling. Here he knows that they're just ready to give up. And so he reminds them of their consistency. He reminds them of their commitment in the gospel, of their partnership, that they're in it together, that they're not alone in this. And so there's a challenge in there, I think, for you and for me here at Gloria Day, especially as we live out the mission of our church. The mission of our church is what at Gloria Day? Can you say it with me? The mission of our church is helping more people live life with Jesus every day. If you can say that one more time with me, ready? 
helping more people live life with Jesus every day. So my question to you is this. Who does the helping? Right? In our mission statement, we say helping more people live life with Jesus every day. Who's doing the helping? Right? In some churches, people would look at that and say, well, the pastor does the helping. The, the staff does the helping. And we're here to cheer them on, encourage them. And when they mess up, we're going to be right there to let them know and say, hey, this is how you can do it better next time. In some churches, the helping more people, that is all on the pastors and the staff and the church leaders to knock out of the park. And the people in the pews, you're there to encourage and cheer and then put the rails you know, back together again if it breaks. But here at Glory Day, it's not that way. Here at Glory Day, we are in partnership in the gospel together. We're all in this together. We're all helping more people. We're all a part of this mission See, when new ministries start, it's not that the pastors and staff create new ministries. It's being sensitive to the work of the Spirit in your hearts and in your lives. And as you respond to the Spirit and you're saying, man, we could benefit these people over here with the gospel of Christ, we resource, we fan the flame, we say, yes, go after it. We encourage you based on your gifts and talents and abilities. Or wherever you live, work, and play, you are living out that mission of helping more people, whether you're teaching whether you're in engineering or coding or a student, whatever it is, you are helping more people live life with Jesus every day. Paul's reminding us of this partnership in the gospel that you and I have. And even though I'm a pastor, it doesn't let me off the hook to say, hey, we've got to help more people. And it doesn't let you off the hook to say, hey, we need to let more people know about Jesus. We are in this together. And so my encouragement to you is this. Don't wait 10 years before you go all in. Don't wait. When the Spirit is moving in you, when God is prompting you to take a next step, take that next step. Don't worry about having it all figured out. Don't wonder, is this the right time? I think the Spirit's moving where I need to take this step in my faith. Do that now. When God moves in your heart, move with him. And he will give you the strength and he will give you the wisdom to take that right next step. And don't wait for perfection. Don't wait until you have your life all figured out and you've got it all set and then you come to God and say, okay, God, now I'm ready. You can use me. I've got everything all figured out. Don't wait for perfection because that will never happen. Look for progress. Look for progress in your life as God works in your heart and with his spirit to prompt you and motivate you to take that step in your faith, whatever step that might look like. When he is prompting you and when he is moving, move with him because he has something amazing to show you about who he is and who he's created you to be. So before Paul gets to this prayer, he reminds all of us of this partnership in the gospel that we share. And then he gives a second reminder. In verse 6, if you could look with me, Paul writes, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And the second reminder is that God, when he begins a work, he's going to complete it. He's going to follow through. He's going to make true on his promises. And so Paul's saying, look to your past, look at your commitments in the past, look at God's faithfulness in the past, and now look to the future. Look to a time when you will be able to celebrate God's finished work in you, that you will be able to celebrate his work in your life in each and every day. 
I'm reminded of the show Fixer Upper. Have you ever seen the show Fixer Upper? Uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines, I'm kind of keen to this show because I've got a daughter out in Waco, so I'm kind of hoping I have a meet and greet with the Gaines family and kind of get to know them, but everyone asks that, so I, I'm not optimistic that that'll happen. Um, but this show is amazing as I watch them work on rehabbing homes. Uh, so there's this home, it's dilapidated, it's really tired and outdated, and the owners want to rehab it and refinish it. And so they hire the Gaines family to come in and do that. And so they take the owners and they take them away from the house. They can't watch any of the progress and they transform the home. And they bring the owners back and there's these two semi-trucks that have two panels. And on the panels, it shows the picture of what the old house looked like. And then those trucks begin to separate and those panels begin to fade away. And you can see the new house and the work that has been completed after the commercial break. So you wait for the commercial break, you fast forward through that, you're wondering what did they do to the new house? You get back to the show and those trailers take those canvases apart and then you see the new house and the owners are just stunned. The owners are shocked, they're just floored at the transformation that has happened to their home. If you can imagine God's work in you, you're not gonna see it completed in this life But can you imagine the worship and the awe and the majesty that we're going to give to God for the work that he's done in our heart and in our lives? Can you imagine the worship that's going to happen when we celebrate the work that God has done in the lives that people we love and the people we've prayed for in our community, people around us? When we we see heaven and the full picture of all that God's work is, it's going to be amazing. And that's what Paul says here to encourage you in your faith God's going to complete this work, and you're not going to want to miss out on that. You're going to worship God. It's going to be amazing, so don't give up. He's going to finish this work, and it's going to look completely amazing. And then he continues on in verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all, with the affection of Christ Jesus. So before Paul gets into the prayer, he has a third reminder, right? He says, we're all partners in the gospel together. God's gonna finish this work. He's not gonna give up on you. And this third reminder, Paul says, is I love you. I care about you. I think fondly of you. I yearned for you. And he says, as God is my witness, I'm not lying. And so he's saying, I love you so much that I pray for you and I constantly am asking God to work in you that you won't give up, that you would have a stronger faith. And so, Glory Day, you need to hear from your pastors, from Pastor Dan, from me, from Beth, the staff, all of your leaders. We love you. We care about you. We live these words out in everything we say and do. We do that to the best of our ability as the Spirit guides us. And we are so excited how Christ is working in and through you to change your life so that you see Christ more and more, that you would glorify him in everything that you say and do, and that you transform the people around you, that you're bringing more people and introducing them to Christ, that you're sharing your faith in winsome ways, that you're living your life out and wherever you live, work, and play, that you're bringing Christ with you to the conversation. We are so excited how you're living the gospel out and we yearned that more and more people would know him through you and that God uses you and he's got an amazing plan for you and we are so excited 
to come alongside you and encourage you in that. It gives us so much joy and it gives us so much encouragement and motivation every single day to serve you in that way. So Gloria Day, we love you. We care about you. We want the best for you. And that's what Paul's saying to Philippi and that's what you need to hear here today. So those reminders, if you're tempted to give up, if your faith is faltering and you're just not sure what your next step is, remember we're partners in this together. Remember that God, he's got this work that's gonna be complete and it's gonna be an amazing work that he does and that your leaders, we, we love you, we care about you. And so finally he's gonna get to the prayer. Finally he's gonna say, all right, here's what I'm praying for you. Here is the petitions I'm laying before God in verse nine. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment so you may approve what is excellent. So there's a lot of requests that Paul's gonna pray, and I'm just gonna focus on two of them. The first one out of the gate is he says, love more, love more. He says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And this love, it's not, it's not a soft love, it's not a schmaltzy love, it's not a love just like, oh yeah, I love people. It's actually a real love. He says, loving people can be difficult. It can be hard knowing what to say at the right time or when to not say anything and just be present with someone to encourage them. It can be hard to love someone and know when you give them a word of encouragement and say, hey, I'm always gonna be there for you, and when you need to speak truth in their life and say, the decisions you're making, you're blowing up your life and the people around you are getting damaged. It's hard to love people with truth and with grace, but that's Paul's prayer, and that's a good prayer for us to praise. God, help us to love more with wisdom and discernment. And he goes on in verse 10, and to be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. And the question that leads me to ask is, are we filled with the right fruit? Are our are lives showing the fruit of the gospel at work in our hearts? Are, are we arrogant or are we growing in humility? Are we just consuming everything or are we actually contributing and giving back? Are we self-centered and looking for, out for our own good or are we becoming more Christ-centered and serving others? Are we materialistic and it's all about the things that we need to accumulate in this life or are we growing in generosity? And that's the one I wanna double-click on and really look at that fruit in our lives, especially in this month of October. Are we growing in generosity? Are we allowing the spirit to grow in our generosity, not just in financial means, but with our time and with our calendar, with the knowledge and wisdom that we have? Are we sharing that with others? I came across a testimony of someone, I'd like to read this for you, uh, that helped me grow in my generosity in my life. When I consider what it takes to live a generous life, it's not about wearing a stunning suit or a beautiful dress or having the nicest house or the greatest car or the latest phone. It's about possessing a generous heart. As a young guy, I really didn't understand generosity. I thought it was all about paying my fair share. And I didn't make generosity one of my core values like it is now. For example, I know a lot of guys who rant and rave about having to pay for a date because it's not equal. And I say to them, you're correct, it's not equal and life's not fair, but there's nothing more unattractive than a cheap man, so pay for your date. I remember the small things that taught me about being generous. 
I remember back when I was a student and I was asking business executives and CEOs to meet with me and mentor me and coach me in my career. And every single time I took them to lunch, they paid for my lunch 100% of the time. Even though I was the one asking them for advice, they took pity on a college student and they paid every time. And I'll never forget that. So whenever I meet with a young college kid, I make sure that I always pay for their lunch. And generosity, it's so unexpected. A couple of years ago, my jacket vanished. It was a $1,000 jacket. And my friend helped me look for it, but it was nowhere to be found. And there was this sinking pit in the pit of my stomach, like it was not gonna be found at all, anytime, anywhere. And so I shrugged and I gave up and I said, well, better that it happened to me and not someone else. And my friend looked at me and said, well, doesn't it bother you that you lost your expensive jacket? And I said, well, of course it bothered me, but you know, I know I could get another jacket. And so the ability to be calm at losing something so expensive was a heart of generosity that I can be grateful for. Generosity also means that I give gifts to my friends for no good reason. I send a picture and I text it to them and I let them know, hey, I'm just thinking of you today to bring a smile to their face. And generosity doesn't have to be expensive. It just has to be thoughtful, right? Maybe uh, my mom, as I'm thinking of her, uh, there's a book that I know she'll like, and so I purchase it and I send it to her and I just say simply, I love you, and it brings a smile to her face. What a treat for her to receive. So when I read that testimony and I saw that generosity growing in his heart, it helps me be more generous and sees this vision of what God has for us as we live out this fruit of righteousness in our lives, of being more generous, because our God is generous, right? Our God is generous. For God so loved, he loves us so much that he gave, that he gave. He gave his only son to live for us and to die for us and rise again. This God is so generous that he gives up all of his riches and everything in heaven so that we could have life and so that we could be abundant with joy and with peace that we're in his presence. Second Corinthians describes it this way. Paul said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might be rich. Glory day, it is our prayer that as we live these words out, that that fruit of righteousness, of, of generosity, and of joy, and of peace, that that would bolster your faith that would strengthen you in your faith, and especially if it's desperate and you're just ready to give up, remind yourself of this partnership we have in the gospel, that we're in this together, that people love you here at Gloria Day, and that God is faithful. He will finish his work that he began in you. So continue to take those steps. Continue to grow in him. So as I invite the band forward and, and we continue our worship and, and we take these words and take them to heart, it is our prayer that you would ask God and, and that you would pray in your spirit to say, God, help me with the strength to take my next step. Whatever it is that he's calling you to do, as you search his scriptures, as you pray, as you talk to other people, other mentors, and get advice about your faith and your walk with him, what is God calling you to do in response to his gracious love, in response to the work that he's doing in your heart? So I would invite you to pray that prayer throughout this worship experience. Later on, we're gonna be confessing our sins, receiving his meal, and being able to have those opportunities to say, God, what is my response to your word? How do I continue to live and glorify you wherever I live, work, and play? In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us. 
We hope God used this time to turn your heart more towards Him. Be sure to check out Glory Day online at gdlc.org for next steps you can take. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at GDLC Houston as we help more people live life with Jesus every day.